Welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. 2021 uh, was certainly a year with all kinds of ups and downs and, and uh, you know, anticipation, disappointments, confusion sometimes. And I, I heard somebody describe 2021 as um, changing a baby in the middle of the night and, and you get the baby out of the crib and you change and, you know, clean diaper and all the rest of it and feed it. And then as you put it back down, it dirties the diaper once more. <laughs> and uh, I just thought, well, that's, that's actually a pretty fair analysis of what 2021 was like. 2022 is going to be a different year, amen? And uh, just believe in God, it's going to be great. But you know, if it wasn't for like a pandemic or something, there's always something to challenge you emotionally, challenge you spiritually, challenge you mentally. There'll be something else. That's just the way it is. And so that's why as we start the year off, we're just going to talk a little bit about managing your inner world as we have titled it. Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 5 um, when he begins to speak to a crowd about life and, and he makes eight statements about how to have a blessed life. So what do you mean by a blessed life? Well, the word blessed basically means happy. And Jesus is saying, listen, here's what it means to have a happy life. And as I think about Jesus saying that and who he's speaking to, these are just, you know, average, if you will, everyday people, but they're living in an environment where they have this, this Roman dictatorship, you know, and oppression from that government and those people and all the rest of it. And so I think that their, their mindset could have been at a place uh, and probably was where they thought, I'd be happier if I had their job. I'd be happier if I had their status. I'd be happier if I was in charge instead of being the one who's always subject to. And, and I'm sure that they would have looked at them and thought, I'd be happy if I had the things that they have, the quality of life that they live, uh, the, the wealth that is on their life, all the rest of it. But Jesus was about to give them the real answer to a happy life. And it wasn't going to be about status, and it wasn't going to be about possessions, In Matthew chapter 5, he begins with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That word blessed again literally means happy. Happy meaning an emotional state that is characterized by feelings of joy and satisfaction and contentment and fulfillment, all those things. And so Jesus is basically answering the question, what must I do to be happy? Happy people are poor in spirit. Well, how does being poor in spirit create happiness? Well, the first thing is this, is the fact that Jesus is pointing to your spirit as the source of your happiness or unhappiness. Happiness is internal. It's not external. Happiness is not about what's happening around you, uh, but it's about what's happening in you. It's not what's about you. It's about you. It's about your spirit. It's about what's going on inside. That's the location. That's the source of your happiness. It's about your inner world, not the world that you're living in. We tend to want to create personal happiness by having our lives in some kind of, you know, perfect order. Everything just works the way that we think it should. The bank account is where it should be at. The car is healthy. The kids are healthy. You know, everything is just going right in our life. 
And it's easy to be happy when all is going well. The problem with that is that's not reality. That's not the way it is every day. Happiness has to start in the heart. In fact, there are many people who have their life all together, so to speak, and they're not happy. Why? Because a together life isn't the source of personal happiness. God's desire is that no matter what it is that you may be dealing with circumstantially in your life right now, that you conquer it, that you keep your personal happiness instead of letting circumstances always be in control of your moods and of your joy. In John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus said this, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In this world, you'll have trouble. So if your happiness in life is tied to something in this world, you've got a problem. Because Jesus already said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Many people try to establish their happiness in life based on their circumstances, and they're constantly on a roller coaster. Things are going well. They're happy. Their mood's good. They're full of joy. They got out of bed on the right side. You know, all that kind of things that we say. But all it takes is circumstances to begin to turn. The economy goes down a bit, maybe upset about a relationship or the weather or whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, their mood changes. They've lost their joy. Why? Because Jesus told us, in this world, you'll have trouble. So if you're going to attach your happiness to anything in this world, it's just a matter of time and there's going to be trouble in that thing you've attached it to. Happiness is about not being overcome by life circumstances. Since happiness is internal, we can get off the roller coaster of our situation. You can't manage your way around not having troubles in life. We try to, we give it our best shot, and there are some things you can do your best at, and yet plenty of troubles will still happen. There's no amount of planning. There's no amount of preparation. There's no amount of money or anything else. It'll just happen. I don't have to give you a list. I'm sure you have your own list of things that have happened, the chaoses of life that, uh, you know, you weren't expecting it. You, you weren't, you know, planning for it, prepared for it, whatever. It just happened. However, you can always manage your inner world. You can't always control what's happening to you but you can always choose how you're going to respond to it. When you value things to make you happy, your happiness can be lost to a problem of frustration or envy or jealousy or even just the lust for more. That's why in Matthew 16, 26, Jesus said this, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet he forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus is reiterating the fact that having things without having things right on the inside isn't what prosperity and happiness is all about. You know, how many people can afford much and yet still live in misery? How many marriages are in trouble in the midst of an affluent life? How many families can afford to have it all, but are constantly in strife and contention? How many couples have the comforts of this life, and yet they live with discontentment in their marriages? 
The reason Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 26 is this. When you don't have much, you think that the answer to your happiness is going to be found in possessions. You know, if you're a worrier, resolving your current worry will only release you to go find something else to worry about. Because that's the condition of your spirit. You're a worrier. If you're a fearful person, we could take care of whatever it is that you're fearful about. You just go find something else to be fearful about. If you're that person who's always in strife and contention with somebody, we can resolve that, get peace in that situation. You'll go find somebody else to be strifeful and contentious with. Because why? That's the condition of your spirit. You're not going to manage your inner world with material solutions. Things have to change in you, not just around you. That's why Jesus talks about these eight ways to manage your inner world and to have happiness in life. Well, what this first one is teaching us is this, that happiness is living with humility. Happiness is living with humility. You know, of all the things that Jesus could have said, I mean, here he is. This is a Sermon on the Mount. You got, you got a crowd it's your like opening statement. Okay, Jesus, you know, give them your best line. Start this message off, get their attention. And he walks up and says, happy are the poor in spirit. I mean, I don't know. I think if I was one of the disciples, I'd just been just a little bit disappointed. Like, you know, Jesus, I'm sure you could come up with a better one-liner than that. We should, you know, maybe think this one through a little bit. I mean, it just doesn't sound like a very popular statement, does it? I've never heard anybody say happy are the poor in spirit and feel like, yeah, yeah, you bet, awesome, you know, it's more like, oh, well, whatever that means, you know, but you think he could have got up and said something more like, blessed are the rich in spirit, blessed are the cool in spirit, blessed are those who have it all and have it all together, blessed are the self-made people, blessed are the successful, or the strong in spirit, the bold in spirit, the confident in spirit, and yet he gets up and says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, in the Living Bible, it says it this way, Matthew 5, 3, humble men are very fortunate. Humble men are very fortunate. In other words, happy are the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit has an opposite to it, and the opposite is not rich in spirit. The opposite is this, proud in spirit. Proud in spirit. Blessed are the proud in spirit? I think not. Look at how pride will mess with you and keep you from truly experiencing a happy life on the inside. Pride always likes to present itself as being confident and successful and, you know, kind of got it all together. But, you know, a lot of times when people are presenting themselves that way, it's because they got something to hide. And if you really got it all together, you don't got to go around telling everybody anyway. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 says this. In the same way, younger people should be willing to be under older people. And all of you should be very humble with each other. God is against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride will frustrate the favor of God on your life. Instead of having God's God's favor, that's, that's his grace. That's what the word means. Instead of living in God's favor, where it's like God's got your back, Instead, God's got your front going, talk to the hand. You know what I'm saying? He, he, he's like, I'm resisting you. I'm not behind you. I'm not covering you. We're not even talking about how pride messes with your relationships that you have with each other, but you're already in trouble with God. 
You're already in, you've already got God against you. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, when you're proud, you don't submit yourself to the wisdom of the word of God, to scriptures, and so you frustrate the blessing that can come from obedience and following Jesus. It's, it's when you look at the word of God and you say, well, I know the Bible says this, but. As soon as you say the word but, you're about to launch into your excuse for disobedience, and you're now entering the place where God's favor is no longer on your decisions, where he's not backing you up anymore. It's like, no, no, I'm actually resisting you because you're about to do something dumb. Pride refuses the help of others. This is why being proud is such a miserable life. Pride refuses the help of others. You know, in the Bible, it always encourages community. It talks about the wisdom that comes from the multitude of counselors. Two are better than one. Uh, you know, there's all the one another's in the New Testament. Those one another's are things that were to, you know, support others with, but also to receive from. But pride doesn't want to admit need. Pride doesn't want to be seen as being weak or maybe feeling like you're a little foolish because you had to ask for help. Listen, it's not being weak to ask for help. It's being wise to ask for help. Pride likes to be seen as having all the answers. I got this. I got this. Pride makes you independent and unteachable. Proud people will tell you what they think and will give you their opinion but they're not open to your response. They're not asking for your reaction, your input, your thoughts. Here's what proud people do. When people get into pride, this is what happens. They like the teacher's podium, but they don't like the student's chair. They don't want to sit in the student's chair. They don't want that posture. Why? Because that's the posture of humility, whereas this is like, I just get to tell you what I think because I, I, you, know, you need to know what I think. This is one of the ways that they end up being resisted by God because when you're in the student's chair, you're postured for God to give you wisdom that will lead you to making the right choices and bless your life. But if you refuse to sit in the student's chair, you miss out. You cut that off. This is one of the ways they're resisted by God. They cut off God's provision so that they can have right perspective and right thinking. The Bible says that we live in God's perfect will by what? Renewing our mind, changing the way that we think. The way you change the way you think is you got to sit in the student's chair. You got to ask the right questions. You got to listen to the right people. Not just go around trying to validate why you currently think the way that you think, even though it's not blessing your life. Yeah. Pride's an interesting word, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but people just don't go, you know, I just realized I am so proud. <laughs> it's just not one of those things we admit to. And yet, and yet it's like one of those things that can, that can creep in. So here's the deal. I got pride. You got pride. All God's people got pride, okay? It's just one of those things that can creep in. What we got to do is, is be aware of, hey, you know what? That's not the right response. Here are words that you do not hear from a person who's in pride. Here are the words. You won't hear these words. The words are this. Four, four words. Here's what they are. What do you think? People get in pride. They never ask that question. 
They never say those words. They never say, what do you think? I can't tell you how many times I've avoided, if you will, potholes on the road of life by asking the question, what do you think? What do you think? But you won't hear that when people are in pride. They're too busy telling what they think to be bothered to ask you what you think. And if what you think conflicts with what they think, well, now they're in trouble. Why? Because they're trying to hold on to the podium when they needed to sit in the chair. And because of this, they can become argumentative or simply defensive about their position, and they're missing out on learning and growing. Now, in, in the church world, it goes to one, one higher level, and that is when people do this. They do what I call playing the God card. The God card. See, because the God card trumps all other cards. The God card goes like this. Well, you know, I've been praying about this, that, and the other, and I'm thinking about this, and God told me. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you telling me? You obviously are not looking for a conversation because you got a hotline to heaven. God already told you what to do. I don't think you reached Jesus when you rang it. Somebody else answered because you're sounding kind of dumb. But if you really believe it's the Lord, I just stand back and watch and enjoy. Listen, the scripture says prophecy should be judged. When you, and, and, and by the way, I totally believe in the Holy Spirit speaking to people's lives. Absolutely do. But we need to have a posture of humility in how we handle it. Where instead of pushing, here's the other thing. If it's from God, he has no problem making sure it happens. I don't need to push it through. But I can share it with an open hand instead of a clenched fist. This is what I feel like the Lord might be wanting. What do you think about this? You know, um, different times in over the years we've shared about how Leslie and I moved here and how we took a couple of weeks of praying and fasting, seeking God, and we just felt the Holy Spirit had put on our heart what we were to do. But, but let me just contextualize that by also saying we did not play the God card, that we went to our pastors, we went to other leaders, uh, mentors, if you will, around us and said, hey, this is what we're sensing. What do you think? What do you think? And look for input, look for wisdom, look for direction, all those things, and have always done that over the years, even in things where we just really felt like the Holy Spirit really put something on our heart. Hey, listen, you don't need to play the God card. If it's God's card, he'll see it through. Pride is rooted in insecurity that won't celebrate others. Pride is rooted in insecurity. You know, appreciation, recognition, gratitude, honor, you know, they're all the acts that come out of a humble, secure person who can rejoice with the successes of others rather than just criticize. And if you can rejoice with others, you can receive from others. But if pride keeps you from celebrating others, it'll also cut you off from them. Pride creates an inaccurate self-assessment. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure 
of faith. Listen, when our self-assessment is higher than it should be, we just live in frustration and disappointment. We're not living our happiest life. We're going around thinking, why didn't they hire me? Why didn't they promote me? Why didn't they pick me? Why didn't they ask for my opinion? You will live with expectations that will simply not happen because your self-assessment is unrealistic, so your expectations are also unrealistic. The end result is conflict in relationships and you being offended all the time because you think you should be treated differently because you believe something about yourself that isn't true. I think I should be treated a certain way because I'm not treated that way. I feel offended. Listen, tied to this type of thinking is the idea that you should just simply always get your way because after all, you know better than most people. Listen, Jesus gave a great story about this. Luke chapter 14 and verse seven. Here's what he said. When he noticed that all who came to the dinner were trying to sit near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. If you're invited to a wedding feast, don't always head for the best seat. For if someone more respected than you shows up, the host will bring him over to where you are sitting and say, let this man sit here instead. And you, embarrassed, will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Do this instead. Start at the foot, and when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place than this for you. Thus, you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For everyone who tries to honor himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be honored. Let me put that in a little different phraseology. It's better to be called up than to be called out. Come on. Pride leads to dishonor. Pride is like having your clothes on wrong. Everybody else notices it except you. <laughs> and I know of a story that this actually happened to somebody who is a speaker and he had to use the washroom before it was his time to come up and speak. And he happened that day to be wearing, I think it was like beige pants and a bright red shirt. I don't know why he had a bright red shirt on. Maybe he's preaching on the blood of Jesus. I don't know. But at any rate, as the process went, when he left the washroom and zipped up his pants, some of the bright red shirt was sticking out. We'd like to welcome our guest speaker to come on stage. And he's up there and everybody is like, oh my God. Wide-eyed, they can all see it except for him. Excuse me, your shirt is showing. Um, humility is the path to honor. It's not self-abasement. Here's what it is. It's the acceptance of the fact, I don't have to have it all together, and that's okay. God will help me anyway. That's the happiness of humility. How can humility increase my happiness in life? Well, first of all, you get on side with God and God gets on side with you. Just the fact that you live in his favor. If you're humble, God says, you're in my favor. You're, my grace is on you. I give grace to the humble. Humility brings happiness in your life because it reduces stress. It reduces stress. When I'm humble, I don't have to have all the answers. It's okay to say, I don't know. I'll try to look that up for you. I don't have to pretend to be an expert on everything. When I'm humble, I realize I don't have to solve all the problems in the world. When I'm humble, I don't have to fake it. 
You know, I'm not trying to prop up some kind of image of something that I've, you know, put out there and now I've got to make sure it stays up. I don't have to pretend that I'm perfect because God doesn't demand for me to be perfect in order to be happy. Hello. I don't have to play God and assume a responsibility that is not mine. When I'm humble, I can live with the tension between the real and the ideal. We all live with a tension between the real and the ideal. We have what we think will be our ideal life, our ideal career, our ideal family experience, our ideal on all these things. And then we have what is real. And we live in that gap. We live in that tension. But here's the thing. Humility accepts it and goes, man, I can continue to pray and seek the Lord for the ideal in any circumstance of life, but I don't have to be overwhelmed by the reality that I'm facing right now and the fact that things are not perfect and things should change. In fact, there's always a tension in life between the ideal and the real. And humility accepts the fact that you can be happy because you're depending upon God even when things are not ideal. You may have problems at work or home or financial or whatever it is. Humility is having an honest evaluation of our human weaknesses while accepting the great plan that God has for our lives. See, here's, here's another manifestation of pride. That is this. It's when we look at our weaknesses and then use them as an excuse for disobedience to God. Oh God, I, you know, I can't do that. I mean, I, I don't have the ability. I, I just, you know, God, I just don't have the gift of, you know, I'm, that's not me. I can't, I can't follow you fully in that area. I mean, and here's what that is. That's pride. That's pride. Instead, what we're to do is put our faith in God's word where he calls us to live a certain way, where he calls us to act a certain way, where the Holy Spirit puts things on our heart that we're to do, and we're to put more faith in God's word than in our weaknesses. When I'm humble, I don't have to impress anyone. This is part of what takes the stress off. Humility releases us from the pressure of seeking to please people all the time. People who live for the approval of others Never happy. Why? Because everybody's got somebody at any moment in life who's not happy with the decisions that you have made. That's just the way it is. At any given moment, somebody is unhappy with you. I hope that's not news to you, but that's the way it is. (laughs) Humility is all about being free to obey and please the Lord without living under the pressure of the expectations of others. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 in the Phillips translation, one more translation to look at, says this, happy are those who know their need for God. Happy are those who know their need for God, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is one other way that humility blesses our life, connects us. Humility connects us to the Lord. You know, pride creates distance and resistance. Humility creates desire and pursuit. Being poor in spirit is an attitude of choice that we can all make, but it can also be learned. I'm not wishing that on you, but we can see in the Bible where people had to learn their humility. Samson had to learn it. Joseph had to learn it. Jonah had to learn it. These people had pride in their spirit, 
but they went through some things that changed the attitude of their heart. Samson had to learn that you can't keep compromising and having success with God at the same time. Come on. He's like, I got a gift on my life of strength, but he also liked the ladies. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, Samson, you can't do that. You got, you got to walk in holiness. Don't be messing with the ladies. That's the, that's the theme here. And all the single brothers said, so freaking weak. We're going to have an altar call at the end of this service. Whole lot of repenting going on. And all the men said, Oh, Jesus, help us. Yeah, if you've just tuned in, I'd like to apologize. Uh, how about Joseph? You know, Joseph had to learn that God wasn't blessing his life to make him a superstar, but to make him a servant. Jonah had to learn that God actually cared for the people he criticized. Not only did he learn that, but he learned this that God cares more about people than he does things. Because Jonah got all upset about a tree dying. God said, you're all upset about a tree, but what about all these people that are lost and going to hell? Humility understands that I need to follow the Lord according to his way and not my. This is what pride does. Pride in Christianity is when we redesign our Christian experience according to our will, not his. When, it, when it's like, and, and so proud people will be, say things like, well, you know what? You can be a Christian and you don't have to be in a church. You know what? That violates so many scriptures and principles in God's word. It is absolutely ludicrous to make a statement like that and to think that somehow that's acceptable. That's not Christianity. That's narcissism. That's, this is how I want my Jesus to serve me. Humility is being happy in my weaknesses while looking to God to show himself strong on my behalf. This is a beautiful thing about humility. God is not limited by your weaknesses. He's responsive to your faith towards him. Humility understands your need for God in life, that you're not a basically good person who God should just let into heaven. You need a savior like everybody else. Let's stand as we take a moment to pray and especially pray for the men. <laughs> Amen. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that regardless of what's going on around us, that Jesus, you gave us wisdom on how to lead what's going on inside of us. That humility is the key to happiness. That accepting your word and living in obedience to it is essential to experiencing a kingdom life and the joy and the peace that you want to bring into our world. And so, Father, I just pray for each and every one of us, Lord, if, if there's been a way that the Holy Spirit has shown us pride has raised itself in our lives, Lord, may we, may we cut that off. May we change. May we address that, not ignore it. And I thank you for freedom from it. And Lord, let your humility and your favor be in that place instead. I want to pray one more prayer for, for people who, as, as we said, humility understands my need for God. 
And, uh, you know, if you don't have Jesus in your life right now, you've not yet invited him. That's how he comes. He comes by invitation. Jesus didn't need invitation when he went to the cross, but after he went to the cross, he comes by invitation. He provided for your sins. He paid to be your savior. He provided for your forgiveness and a brand new start in life. And the way that we receive it is simply humbling ourselves to acknowledge, I need forgiveness. I need the savior in my world. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus today, this is how we do it. We're going to talk to God right now and start it. Those who are online are going to pray with us as well. And we in the church are going to pray with you who are online. And if this is where you're at, pray with me. Believe God's going to change your life right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you humbled yourself and went to the cross to pay for the sins of the world. I ask you to forgive my past and I invite you into my life and confess you as my Savior and my Lord. I'm going to follow you with all my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.